Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take another supersized look at UFOs. That's right, from Paranormal News till the end of this episode, we are only going to talk about UFOs. But first, as always, we have shout outs. That's right, shout outs go out to Julia, Damien, and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Tanya, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, Eek, Amy, Jennifer, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, UFO, Adam, Karen, Casey, USO, Ashley, Krista, Nick, Harry, Erie the Cat, Fran, Dave, and Sean, Carolyn, what's that? Geo, UAV, Lorelai, Mickey, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim, Kelly, Lauren, and Phil Mangano, Carrie, Bill, Lash, Russell, Tanya, UAS, Donald, Chris, Gamerfan, Brandon, Jared, I, April, Eric, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Sean Bishop, Andrew, Cole, Lauren and David, Ah, Monsters, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Hahn, and family, Elliot, Trey, Erica, John, Jennifer, Jaime, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Joshua, M. Caballero, Rose, Rosa, actually. Shelly, Laura McCune, hey, howdy, hi. Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J. Mark, Sarah, Amber, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Ruth O, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Matt, Dill, and Laura. There's a whole lot of new people on there. We also have a shout out to Harry the Bassist, awesome guy. Sent me a computer, uh, sent me a desktop that you're listening to me record on as we speak. Special shout out to Joe Teague. Let's see, what else? Who else do I have special shout outs? Dorian and Isaac. Uh, let's see, I think that's all it. I think that's it for the uh, special shout outs. So, thank you to all the new patrons. You guys are making this show a better place. I'm actually buying a couple of things for the show with this month's Patreon that uh, hopefully you guys will be able to notice in the next, uh, well, I mean, whenever they send it to me, but... Hopefully, I'll be getting this stuff fairly soon, and uh, you guys will be able to notice it. So, let's get right on in to Paranormal News. Paranormal News. You guys can send your own Paranormal News theme song, bumper music, whatever you want to call it, to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who sent me theirs that I haven't played yet. Don't worry, I'm going to get to them. But yeah, if you're musically inclined and you want to send over a Paranormal News theme song, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Thank you very much. First up in Paranormal News, permanent pine, bush, permanent pine Bush UFO Museum in the works. 
That's right, the town of Crawford is looking to make part of the annual Hamlet UFO Fair into a permanent year-round fixture with a paranormal museum and haunted house. To do this, the town is looking to purchase a building at fair market value and revamp it to include the museum about unidentified flying objects with a regional focus as well as a youth center and seasonal haunted house. The town's director of community services, small businesses and tourism says that the ticket prices for the project is expected the ticket price. Oh, I get it. The ticket price for the actual building, not like the tickets to get in. Okay. Cause I was going to say that's too expensive for a ticket. The ticket price for the project is, is expected to be less than $500,000. The town plans to apply for grants to help fund the project. Now, given the impact of the, uh, it goes on to say, you know, the world sucks right now. So we all got to wait. Uh, ba -ba -ba -bum. The second quarter was when everything got shot, shot down. The second quarter was when everything was shut down. That's what we're waiting on. Last year, the annual UFO fair had more than 10,000 participants for a one-day celebration. I would actually really like to go to this uh, UFO fair. I like to go to any UFO fair, but this one sounds like it's a lot of fun. Known as the UFO capital of the world, uh, since the 80s, they had had many, un many reported unidentified flying object sightings. Troves of tourists from around the world come to Pine Bush's Main Street to visit businesses and its booths and actually bond over otherworldly fascinations with games, pop-up street performances, and paranormal speakers. Hey, that's me! And authors. That's not me, but a uh, speaker part. So, if you're listening to this, Pine Bush peoples, invite me out. I would love to do a live paranormal almanac from your UFO fair. It seems like a great day. Looking forward to it. Invite me. Yeah, that's about it. Alright, let's move on to the next story. In paranormal news. New documentary series spotlights legendary North Carolina Brown Mountain Lights. While the Brown Mountain Lights have managed to elude spectators, researchers, scientists, and curious-minded tourists for almost a century, the phenomena has yet again sparked the interest of a larger audience. This time, the ghost light phenomena has been incorporated into the subject of UFOs and UFO encounters. As the UFO phenomena garners more and more attention from the general public, Small Town Monster's latest documentary series, On the Trail of UFOs, explores the truth and experiences behind one of the world's oldest phenomena. Is it really one of the world's oldest phenomena? I, I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, look, good on you for trying to make the brown lights, the brown mountain lights even more impressive, but it's not one of the world's oldest phenomena in any stretch of the imagination. Now, I've actually done an episode about the Brown Mountain Lights, but to hear it, you have to be a patron because it's a patron-exclusive episode. I'm not going to tell you my results from that episode because, again, it's a patron-exclusive episode, but patrons, feel free to go back and listen to that episode if you want to know, do I think the Brown Mountain Lights are real? Do I think the Brown Mountain Lights are... Uh, fake, debunk, whatever. You gotta listen to that episode. But anyhow, or just watch this docu-series that I guarantee you is not going to be fake in the slightest. Because, you know, most of them are. Alrighty, next up in paranormal news. Idaho wants to believe our state has the highest per capita UFO sightings in the country. Idaho has earned a reputation for pristine views of the night sky, even opening the country's first international dark sky reserve near Stanley. But in the past year, in the past year and a half, dozens of Idahoans have looked to the stars and seen something they couldn't quite explain, according to a new report. 
On June 24th, SatelliteInternet.com, a website that researches and writes about satellite internet access for rural communities, released a report that found Idaho has the highest number of sightings of unidentified flying objects per capita. Tim Tincher, a researcher for the website, told the statesman in an email that the company wanted to see if a satellite internet equipment was being mistaken for UFOs. They said the satellite internet industry has been transforming with the launch of the new low-orbit satellite internet services like SpaceX's Starlink. You know, the one where everybody's confusing for UFOs, so good on them, they're right. And they say it promises to bring much faster internet people all over the world, blah, blah, blah. We were curious to see if the people were mistaking visible Starlink satellite trains as UFOs in the sky and wanted to take a closer look into the data from the National UFO Reporting Center. Uh, it goes on to tell you about the National UFO Reporting Center. You guys know that. Over the last year and a half, the center, the center has received 164 reports of UFO sightings in Idaho. By sheer numbers, it's not the most for any state. That title goes to Florida, not surprisingly which reported a staggering 567 sightings in the same time frame. But Idaho's relatively low population means our state had 9.18 UFO sightings per 100,000 people, according to this study. They said that the neighbors the, to the northwest in Montana were close second with 9.17 UFO sightings per capita. New Hampshire, Maine, and New Mexico... Uh, round out the top five. According to the National UFO Reporting Center's web's database of sightings, the last UFO sighting in Idaho was in Bonner's Ferry on April 18th. While watching Starlink with my wife and two children, we noticed a light that at first we thought was an additional satellite in a different location and direction. We noticed it move in large distances across the sky in a split second, though. For example, one moment it was in one spot and the next in a totally different with no trail in between. At one point, we witnessed it make a very defined turn and followed by a second 900-degree turn back to the original area. It appeared as though it was falling from the sky, but was continuing to move from place to place. It appeared to be a bluish-white in color. Another report from Nampa on the same night was determined by the center to be a Starlink satellite, so there you go. But they can't explain this sighting. They said they don't know what caused it, they don't know who did it, they don't know what it was, so... It's a UFO. Okay, up next in paranormal news, Unsolved Mysteries is on Netflix now. It's back, it's new, and it reveals UFO sightings reported in the Berkshires. That's right, the newly released documentary series uh, Unsolved Mystery on Netflix, Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, features an episode on the UFO sightings reported in Massachusetts back in 1969. So, I'm not going to go into it, just wanted to let you guys know, you guys should watch the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Next up in paranormal news, this one is a bizarre one, but I'm so glad that someone found it. Someone came across it. Someone actually was reading all this bullshit government documents and happened to notice something. In the budget for America's future for fiscal year 2021, Trump's Office of Management and Budget outlines wasteful and unnecessary spending on page 14 of the document. So, you know, skip ahead to page 14. You don't have to burn through it all. Unless you want to, unless it's like your bedside reading or whatever. But uh, on page 14 of the document, it makes reference to funding going towards preparing religions for discovering extraterrestrial life. Now, I will say, I did not actually go to the actual budget for America's future for the fiscal year of 2021. I'm just taking this news story at its word 
But here we go. Here's the highlighted section. Second, all federal spending should provide a necessary public service and serve a clear national interest. American taxpayers deserve a government that is not spending taxpayer dollars to support a Muppet retrospectacle in New Zealand or millions to prepare religions for discovering extraterrestrial life, which are real and unfortunate examples of wasteful spending. This cannot be real. This cannot be real. There is no way they're talking about uh, supporting a Muppet retro spectacle in New Zealand. I'm going to call bullshit, and I guess I am going to have to look up the budget for America's future for fiscal year 2021 live, well, you know, live recording, while I got you right here. Oh, God. Now I'm going to flip through a shitty fucking document. Um, alrighty. So I'm actually at the whitehouse.gov. The, I'm looking at the budget for America's future. Alrighty. So let me see what I don't see a page 14. Hold on. The crap kind of bullshit is this Muppet retro spectacle in New Zealand. Let me look that up. Muppet retro spectacle. In New Zealand, huh? That's right. As Kurt furiously Googles to find the information he's looking for. There. Oh, are you kidding me? Is it real? Are you kidding me? Oh, you son of a bitch. Trump's going after the Muppets. Look, I don't want to get political on here, but when the Trumps go after, when Trump goes after the Muppets, we got the problem. Apparently, this thing is fucking real. What the fuck, man? To support a Muppet retrospectacle in New Zealand or millions to prepare religions for discovering extraterrestrial life, which are real and unfortunate, and unfortunate examples of wasteful spending. Holy shit, this thing's real. I mean, but come on. How... How are they going to talk about, uh, fuck you going after the Muppets, Trump. Now you, now I'm pissed. Uh, it says they're probably referencing a $1 million NASA project from 2017 to prepare the world's religions for the possible discovery of extraterrestrial life forms. $1 million to prepare the world's religions for the possible discovery of extraterrestrial life forms. Jesus Christ. All right, so apparently I am wrong. It actually is real. And on page 14, not only do they talk about preparing the religions for, you know, extraterrestrial life forms, but about Muppets. They don't want to spend taxpayer dollars to support a Muppet retrospectacle in New Zealand or to prepare or millions to prepare religions for discovering extraterrestrial life, which are real and unfortunate examples of wasteful spending. So uh, come at me. You guys can send me all the hate mail that you guys want because you guys think I'm way too um, political all the time. <laughs> not on here. I'm not. But Trump is going after the Muppets. And I say, fuck you five-minute rant about Trump going after the Muppets, edited here. Alrighty. But I guess the big part of that is that we were spending a million dollars to prepare religions for the extraterrestrial life, for the discovery of extraterrestrial life, which is really interesting. Very cool. I love the fact that this is how disclosure is coming to us piecemeal, bit by bit, little by little. I'll be talking about that more in the episode itself, but 
I really do think it's interesting that these kinds of things, which should be mind-boggling, earth-shattering, world news constantly, it's in the news, it's on TV, blah, blah, blah. It should be all about, wait a second, are they really spending millions to talk about this? You know, it's real. UFOs are real. Pentagon has said so. Yet, here we are. These are just little blurbs on little sites, and it's mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing, if you will. Alrighty, that about does it for Paranormal News. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Alrighty, we are back. There's a plane flying above me, so hopefully you guys can't hear it. Stitches on my lap, and unlike the live shows, there is nothing but iced tea in my cup. So let's get into this all-UFO episode. First, did you catch the UFOs that I shouted out in the patron shoutouts? No? You skipped them? Well, fine. I mean, you should listen to them. These, these people make the show better, but in the shoutouts, I called out four different names and counting that we have for the classic unidentified flying objects. We have the good old UFO, unidentified flying objects. My preferred nomenclature for things in the sky we can't identify. But now we also have UAV, unmanned aerial vehicles. That's what UAV stands for. There are a lot of bullshit sites out there that say the government acronym for UAV stands for Unmanned Alien Vehicles. It does not. It is Unmanned Aerial Vehicles. How about USOs? S is in SAM. That's right. Talking about unidentified submersible objects. UFOs that are seen underwater, but are also known as the redundantly dumb UFO underwater flying objects. Nope, that's stupid. Then we have UAS, S is in Sam, which is a newish term seen in government documents released from the Freedom of Information Act, and that stands for Unmanned Aircraft Systems. So a lot of people are saying, why all these new nomenclatures? Why all these new acronyms? Why can't they just stick with UFO? It's because of the stigma that's involved with UFOs. For decades, anyone legit, like a pilot or in the Air Force, in the Army, whatever, an official person, a police officer, they didn't want to say that they saw UFOs because if they did, people immediately thought of flying saucers and little green men and obviously this person's batshit crazy. So they've updated the terminology. During that updated terminology, though, the UAV... It just means unmanned aerial vehicle. How are they? How do they know that these Tic Tacs and all this shit that, that the uh, the Navy has seen that's you know you've seen in the news a billion times? How do they know they're unmanned? To me, unmanned aerial vehicle means drone. So why are they using that one? And also, why are they now using UAS, unmanned aircraft systems? I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't know the answer to this. Look. I'm just throwing this stuff out here, but it also makes it harder for people to get the documents that they're looking for about UFOs, the one I'm going to use, but it makes it harder and harder for them to get the documents because all they have to say is, 
we got a Freedom of Information Act for looking for a document that says UFOs in November of 2019. Nope, sorry, we don't have any mentioning UFOs in November of 2019 because they're using UAS or UAV or some other thing that we don't even know about yet. Look, make up all the acronyms you want for them. On this edition, I'm going to go with UFOs. But I do think it's very important for people that are trying to find this information, trying to find the truth, sending in tons of these Freedom of Information Acts, which work. We've seen them work. You'll hear about them a little bit in this episode. But it's making it harder and harder for them to get the actual documents or the important documents they need because it's like a little loophole. The government has to doesn't have to give it out. They can just say, no, sorry, we don't have anything with UFOs on that page on that date. Go suck an egg. Okay, so we know we can't go a week now without UFOs in the news. I just read you like three or four of them. And we know that even with all this attention is put on them, the general public doesn't really seem to care about them. Yeah, that still pisses me off. When I message my skeptic friends about UFOs in the news, you know, the Pentagon confirming that they're real, the Tic Tacs, the Gimbal, the Go Fast, the FLIR One, in case you don't know what those are, those are the names of the UFOs seen by the Navy in, what, 2004, 2015, whatever it is, 2019. Those are the names of those little UFOs that, that the Navy was chasing after and couldn't catch. But whenever I tell my friends, like, look, see, here you go, here's more proof, they just kind of shrug and don't care or still don't believe. Just go, oh, no, it's not real. And it blows me away how people can be in such denial that even when they're shown proof, when the government says, when the Pentagon says, yep, those aren't ours, those really happened, we don't know what they are, they're some form of UAV phenomena. Even with all of that, people still just go, nah. So, I figured with all of this UFO stuff out there that's constantly being thrown in the news, a lot of this stuff is going to fall through the cracks. Even for me, it falls through the cracks. So I said, you know what? Let's do another big general UFO episode. I'm talking earliest sightings, bases they're seen at, less famous but equally amazing sightings, and more. That's right. All the fun stuff is coming up in just a bit. But I have some UFO stuff to sludge through real quick first. Now, I'm making it sound less as exciting as it really is. It's just, it's very wordy. So stick with me. We're going to get to some cool, cool stuff in a little bit. But first, now this first one, it technically could be added to Paranormal News, but I wanted to flesh this one out a bit more. So I found a bunch of sites talking about it. I found all the reputable information. I got rid of all the, I debunked all the bullshit. Kind of, you know, like I said, fleshed it out or, um, you know, boiled it down to this stuff. What we actually know, what the government, U.S. government knows about UFOs. Because just last week, the Senate Intelligence Committee voted to require U.S. intelligence agencies, all U.S. intelligence agencies and the Defense Department to compile a detailed public analysis of all data collected on, quote, unidentified aerial phenomena. 
including those Navy pilot videos. Now, see, I haven't gotten to the sludge yet. This is exciting. It's, it really is. But as exciting as this sounds, there is no way that they're just going to release everything to the public. If, and it's a big if, if these UFOs are secret man-made vehicles, you know, test pilots, experimental vehicles, whatever you want to call them, experimental planes, there is, these things have to be light years ahead of what we, the public, know about, and there is just no way they're going to admit to it. It'll still be top secret no matter what this Senate Intelligence Committee does or says. But what it does do is it makes the topic public. And that's the important part. Stick with me. Here's where it gets important because it makes the debates about the release of the info public and it could unexpectedly release some juicy tidbits that ufologists can use to get even more information from. Now, this was brought up all because we found out that in 2017, the Pentagon had been investigating those UFO Tic Tac interactions and interviewing pilots for a number of years. After the government said, we don't do shit with UFOs, we don't care about them, there's no secret agency, no secret department that's actually tracking this and interviewing people. Well, we found out that was bullshit. And they had recently issued new guidelines to the Navy on how to act on and report these types of incidents because they're becoming so regular. Now, the bill states, quote, The committee remains concerned that there is no unified, comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified aerial phenomena, despite the potential threat. The committee understands that the relevant intelligence may be sensitive. Nevertheless, the committee finds that the information sharing and coordination across the intelligence community has been inconsistent, and this issue has lacked attention from senior leaders. So, basically, what they're saying is they're asking for everything collected from a wide range of sources, including the Office of Naval Intelligence, the FBI, satellites, all other technical means that is top secret to us right now, including human spies. So what it's doing is it's going for broad strokes in hopes that we end up with this still incredibly disclosure-like kind of information trickling to us. You know, go so broad, wide-ranged, that even if they kind of like and they always do with these bills. You know, they kind of go, well, we don't want that part. But we'll keep this part. We don't want that part. We'll keep this part. Even with all that chopping and all the bullshit they're going to do to this bill, it's so broad stroked that we could get some potentially incredible UFO information from the government, from top secret means, the FBI, naval intelligence, satellites, tons of stuff, spies. I mean, it's crazy the amount of broad stroking that they're doing in hopes that when it gets whittled down, it's still going to be incredible. Now, if, and that's a big if, if it passes the Senate, the direct, Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense will only have 180 days to release everything asked for in the bill. Now, again, what this means is 
I believe this is by design to have them release something that if they had like a year or two or three or whatever to go over everything with a fine tooth tooth comb, that what we would actually get would just be like redacted, reclassified or bullshit. But by giving them only 180 days, it can't be gone over with fine tooth comb. They don't have that kind of time. And again, we might get some goodies out of it that they didn't want to release. And that is huge. Very wordy, but huge nonetheless. This kind of bill, like I said, this broad stroke kind of bill is done so smart that by the mere chance they might miss something, we're going to get something good out of it. Now, the provision contained in the Annual Intelligence Authorization Bill, which still needs to be adopted by the full Senate, sets up an unusually public debate on Capitol Hill about how extensively the government has been tracking high-performance aircraft or unknown origin UFOs. It goes on to say it further legitimizes the issues. That in itself is extremely important. People can talk about it without fear of embarrassment. If they don't respond to something like this, what do we have an intelligence community for? We're talking about dozens of incidents in restricted military airspace over the years. And they're right. They're a hundred percent right. What's the point of having an intelligence community that speaks to each other if they're not sharing this kind of information? So like I said, it's a big win that this even has made... Look, like I said, it's a big win that this has even made it this far. It's these kinds of moves that when explained by the wrong type of person seems boring as fuck. When I found this story, when I was going through to verify it, it's boring as shit. It really is. It's wordy. Hopefully, I'm not boring you to tears quite yet, but there are actually incredibly interesting and hopefully, again, hopefully I don't bore you all too much, but this can benefit every one of us that has been hoping to prove UFOs are real even more than they've already done so recently. I mean, it's a big, it's a lot of ifs, but it's a lot of potential for the UFO community. Okay. For this next part of it, though, I'm going to kind of throw a paranormal news part into this story. So instead of rewriting it, I'm just going to read you what Black Vault thought of this bill. They focus on something that they got through a Freedom of Information Act. So this is from Black Vault. This next part of this episode is from Black Vault. I'm giving them all the credit. Again, I thought it was really well worded. And I didn't want to have to go through and try to make it sound like my own when it really wasn't. This is from Black Vault. Okay. So they said the internal email communication received by Black Vault on June 24th, 2020, via the Freedom of Information Act, revealed a, quote, off-the-record set of comments given from Major Melinda Singleton, spoke spokesperson for the Air Force, to Susan Gao, spokesperson for the Pentagon. As Singleton was tasked to respond to a set of... Uh, a set of specific media submitted questions on UAPs, she gave two extra lines of information for Gal's consideration. But they weren't meant for public consumption. This, again, is according to Black Vault from their Freedom, Freedom of Information Act. Boy, that's hard to say. They said, when the emailed conversation dealt with UAP regarding guidelines by the Air Force, Singleton wrote, currently... The Air Force is not working on any specific guidelines for reporting UAPs. Side note, and off the record, 
we do have reporting instructions for unauthorized air vehicles, military installation airspace violation. But that is more of a U of a CUAS realm. That information is provided via and then a bunch of bullshit. Stop right there. See, they're saying, oh, we don't do that. But off the record, we totally do that. Then Black Vault actually said, although some may not catch the connection at first glance, the reference Singleton adds to this theory is first proposed by Australian researcher Paul Dean. That is, that UFO cases, those that are likely not just misidentified drones or balloons, are made within something called the Operational Reporting OPREP system. Specifically, this report. OPREP-3 reports. This is important because they're admitting there are reports that people need to fill out when they see UFOs. Okay. Again, it's basically used by authorized military personnel to report urgent, serious, or ongoing situations of dire events up the chain of command for UAPs, for unidentified aerial phenomena. I'm going to skip some of the uh, biggie wordy stuff here. And they said, yet the internal communication from USAF sent to the Pentagon may actually show that Dean is onto something and his reservations about what he proposed may not be warranted. Although Singleton references this unidentified unmanned aerial system, she said the reports would likely pertain to unidentified drones flying within authorized space. She tied the public statement about UAP reporting to the off-the-record OPREP procedures. Good. Done. Done with that, all that wordy bullshit. What they're saying is they have the official, nope, nothing to see here, and but they still have the unofficial, what the fuck is that report? This UAP report, the OPREP-3 report, these things are top-secret reports about UFOs. What the hell, man? They keep saying that they're not doing any investigations, but they're doing investigations. To this day, they're doing investigations. They also go on to talk about the Air Force structure, which was actually a little thing that was like a little nugget of like, what the fuck? Because as of right now, all of those UFO videos that we've seen recently and that the Pentagon said were real were from the Navy. But in that email, they talk about the Air Force structure of safety, policy, and procedure from at least September of 2019. So the Air Force is in on this as well. The Air Force has had these same kind of tic-tac gimbal, whatever kind of UFO incidents that the Navy has released. There's more out there. There is a lot more out there about these UFOs, these tic-tac UFOs, if you will. And uh, I think it's coming. I think we're going to get to it very quickly because now they know what to ask for. Again, those Freedom of Information Acts are only as good as what you ask for. I hope I didn't bore you too much with that. I swear I'm done with that part of it. Let's move on to the next one. And this next one is weird. Okay, you guys remember MJ-12? Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, pause this one and go listen to that one, okay? I'll give you a second. Okay, are you back? Did you listen to me debunk 
MJ-12 and those stupid documents? Well, <laughs> about that. Some parts of MJ-12 might have actually been real? Maybe? That's right, this next part of this episode is, is parts of this MJ-12, is it real? Now, as with everything MJ-12 related, stuff comes and goes, proof comes and eventually gets debunked, but this proof, as of right now, might be actual proof. That's right, we have reached the huge grain of salt time for this episode, and I am talking, like, not even bus size. I'm talking like asteroid-sized grain of salt. And again, like everything about MJ-12, it ends up being a bit like an X-Files episode. Here we go. We're going to dive into some MJ-12 shit in this next part of this episode. So, in 2018, Dr. Hal Putoff co-founder of To The Stars Academy, the one with uh, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182, the one that actually gets a lot of this information, the one that seems to have a bunch of ins with the military. Well, Dr. Hal Putoff was on George Knapp's Coast to Coast. In my opinion, still not as good as Art Bell, but what are you going to do? Now look, let me tell you right now, Dr. Putoff has some amazing credentials. But he was also one of Scientology's highest ranking members in the 1970s. And he also believed known bullshitter Yuri Geller in the 80s. Yuri Geller was bullshit. He was a shitty sleight of hand magician, nothing more. In fact, Dr. Hal Putoff even fought James Randi about Yuri Geller. Now, I don't mean like fist fights they got in a ring. I just mean like a verbal fight. Because the amazing Randy completely debunked the fuck out of Yuri Geller. Who, again, is complete bullshit. But Dr. Putoff said, nah, I don't know. I think he might be psychic. There's something there. So keep all that in mind as we continue down this rabbit hole for just another little bit. Okay. So on Coast to Coast, Putoff talked about the Tic Tac UFOs and seemed to know more than us. He said there was more documents out there that he had access to, and these documents seemed to link to MJ-12. Huge bullshit. I mean, not bullshit, but like huge, what the fuck kind of moment. So George Knapp, he said, um, do you think crashes have happened or can you say... And Hal Putoff said, detailed proof that crashes have happened, that crashes have happened, would be still a highly classified piece of data. George Knapp said, well, that's an answer of sorts. And Hal said, my opinion is there are probably at least materials. Now it wouldn't be necessarily, now it wouldn't necessarily have to be a crash of an entire craft, but it could be a piece blown off and whatever by a lightning strike or a missile or whatever. So I'm not surprised to find out that there's discussion and materials being available. He goes on to say, There has been one leaked document. How it got leaked, I'll never know. But this document is out there that talks about some crashes that we were able to verify that it was a real document. Now, 
The document he's referring to are called the Wilson Davis documents. And yeah, he's right. They were leaked online. And yeah, if they are real, well, even if they're not real, they do mention MJ-12 in them. But are they real? If they're real, who leaked them? If they're real, is it something that is, you know, it's just, a, there's just so many ifs. I, I can't even go down that rabbit hole. So look, there's a lot of ifs. So these Wilson Davis documents also imply that there are crashed UFOs retrieved by the United States going back more than 50 years. That's right. It supposedly confirms multiple crashed UFOs in the U.S.'s custody. Now, the documents are from 1961, and again, they're online if you want to read them. But it is a snooze fest. If you were kind of fading out on some of that bullshit I was reading just a minute ago, these things will knock you out. They talk about MJ-12. They talk about UFO crashes. But they talk about it in the most boringest way possible. And like everything with MJ-12, these documents are riddled with spelling and grammatical errors all over it. They're also in the wrong font. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to that MJ-12 episode. And here's some debunking that was already done, so I didn't have to do it. People that have looked into these documents say the mention of certain government agencies didn't even exist in 1961. The Joint Research and Development Board went out of existence in 1948 or 49 and was replaced by the Research and Development Board, the RDB. So the JRBB, the Joint Research and Development Board, went out of existence. But it's talked about in these documents from 1961. That JRBB was replaced by the Research and Development Board. And that board was abolished in 1953. So both of them are outdated and shouldn't be talked about in this document in a current sense. They also go on to say we see the, the Joint Nuclear Energy Intelligence Committee named. Yet, it was replaced by the Joint Atomic Energy Intelligence Committee in 1948. So it should not have been named. That's it. That's as far as I'm going. I'm going to keep moving on. But there's so many things wrong in the documents. In fact, here's one of the MJ-12 quotes in the document. Ten years later, the existence of a real intelligence community, a real intelligence committee called MJ-12, was revealed when a previously classified special estimate of the situation surfaced, dated the 5th of November, 1961. It mainly dealt with the threat from the nuclear power, the nuclear-powered Russian space devices. But it also mentioned the possibility of nuclear material aboard crashed unidentified devices. Okay. What they're talking about is, this is a good bit from that very long, boring document about why the U.S. and Russia worked together in regards to UFOs. Especially in that time, in, the, in 1961, that was unheard of, that they were working together. It seems the U.S. was worried that if a nuclear-powered UFO, they're saying that if these things are powered by nukes, if it crashed in the Soviet Union or created electrical interference with the Soviet airborne early detection equipment, it could cause confusion and problems, and the Soviets might think it was us, might think it was the U.S., and launch their nuclear missiles. 
So basically, it was the quickest way of them going, shit, if they see these things and they misidentify them, that could spark World War III. So they said, we got to work together. They said, we got to work together with your enemy in an attempt to prevent that from happening. Well, in 1961, there were six cases where nuclear, nuclear materials were involved in retrieving unidentified space vehicles. That's what they call it in these documents, unidentified space vehicles. The document goes on to say, in the current political and, and military situation in which the United States finds itself in the Cold War effort against the USSR, there is the remote possibility within the current understanding of the verifiable UFO phenomena. That's important. Verifiable UFO phenomena that early warning defense systems could err in the identification of unidentified aircraft and missiles. They talk about this openly in this paper that our government did know what powered the UFOs. There was some form of nuclear en of nuclear energy in these UFOs, powering these UFOs. And they were afraid, with all this information that we had, that the Soviets might go, fuck, it's the Americans, and kill everybody. Very interesting. It is almost certain that a crashed nuclear-powered UFO on Soviet territory could generate misguided suspicions and trigger a retaliatory act on the United States or its allies within 30 minutes of detection. Yep. That is insane. If these documents are real. But anyhow, let's get back into this. So, after that interview with uh, Dr. Putoff, 15 pages of these documents appeared on Reddit. Now, it included a story about a meeting that took place in Vegas in 2002 between astrophysicist Eric W. Davis, Ph.D., and retired director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Vice Admiral Thomas R. Wilson. That meeting was about a secret government program dealing with reverse engineering of crashed and recovered UFOs. The Wilson documents have popped up a few places online around that time. They're supposedly out there in 2002. I can't verify most of this stuff. Investigating this is so bizarre. I had to go from site to site and read supposed interviews that happened in 2002, but talk about a 1996 meeting that might have taken place somewhere classified with two classified individuals that might have been these individuals that they might have given this classified person who seemed to verify theories by this other classified person. Look, it just gave me a headache way quick, and I can't prove any of it. But if this is real, if this meeting is real, if these documents are real, if Dr. Putoff knows what he's talking about, which seems like he probably does, what does it mean? Now, do I think these docu do I think these documents are real? Mm, not really. But a ton of people, including Putoff, does. Now, again, he is the co-founder of To The Stars Academy. They have a really good track record. They have a lot of ins with the government. They seem to know what they're talking about. It mentions people with real classified levels, and they have supposedly said, again, I can't prove it, but they supposedly have said that they think it's real too. But until I see something directly from these supposed classified people, if I see them come out and say, like on the news, like on CNN, and say, yep, it's real. Those documents are real. We have UFOs 
We have a shit ton of them that crashed and we reverse engineered them. Yep, all of that is real. Then it's real. But for right now, I'm really leaning towards it's bullshit to keep ufologists busy. That same shit that happens all the time. Like I said, it's a very X-Files episode-y kind of thing to do. But it could be real. And if it is, it's absolutely incredible because that means that some parts of MJ-12 are real. And those documents are incredible. So it's this rabbit hole of ifs. But if it's real, holy shit. All right, enough of that. Let's move on to less convoluted bullshit, if you will, for a little bit, okay? Let's go back a little bit to UFO's beginnings. That sounds fun, right? How far back do we have to go to get to the UFO's beginnings? Are we talking about the 40s, the 30s, the 50s? No. How far back, you asked? That's right, I can hear you now. I heard you say, well, I wonder how far it is. Well, let's go all the way back to the 4th century AD, where some ufologists think a UFO was seen and written about. It's called Liber de Prodigis, or the Book of Prodigies. Now, it was, it was written by Julius Obsequians, and he wrote about Rome in 249. So, in the 4th century, he's writing about 200 years ago. So, about Rome in 249 and 12 BCE, whatever you want to call it. And in it, he talks about something flying around in the sky. Now, it, in my opinion only, it might not mean UFOs, but it is really fucking weird. Because he wrote about, quote, the miracle, the two suns, that would appear in broad daylight in the Alba Fushan sky? I don't know. That's in the uh, territory of the Marcy in 204 BC. So, in the year 222, Roman consuls observed a great light in the sky like day at midnight when three moons appeared in the quarters of the sky distant from each other. He also mentioned things in the sky or whatever shaped like shields, ships, and burning torches. That's right. He talks about things just hanging there in the sky. So these aren't meteors. And something like ships? Ships in the sky sounds pretty UFO-y to me. Now, he wrote about a round shield that was seen in the sky over Arpy, I think it was. See? This is already better than that MJ-12 stuff. And this was from like 1,800 years ago. He's talking about shields in the sky. Now, when you think of shields, you think of a flying saucer, basically. A shield in the sky? Oh, yeah, it's a flying saucer. It's metallic. It's oval. Yeah. Fucking UFOs. From the 4th century. Now, the next one in our little trip be, uh, to the UFOs beginnings. Now, I actually talked about this next one before on an earlier episode, but I threw it in here because of its UFOs history. And it's very short. Just, you know, stick with me for a minute. Let's go back to 1561, April 14th to be exact, when residents of Nuremberg described the appearance of a large black triangle object. According to witnesses, there were also hundreds of spheres, cylinders, and other odd-shaped objects that moved erratically overhead. In the morning of April 14th, 50, 1561, at daybreak between 4 and 5 a.m., a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun. 
And then this was seen in Nuremberg in the city before the gates and in the country by many men and women. At first there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below and on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of partly dull, partly black ferrous color. Could this be some kind of eclipse? Sure. Let's keep going, though. Likewise, there stood on both sides as a torus about the sun, which blood-red ones and other balls in large numbers. Ah, see? That doesn't sound like an eclipse anymore. About three in line and four in a square, also some alone. In between these globes, there were visible a few blood-red crosses, between which were blood-red strips becoming thicker to the rear and in the front line, like a four in a square. Also, oh, oh, I'm sorry, in the front malleable, like rods of reed grass, which were intermingled among them two big rods, one on the right, one on the left, antenna, basically. And with these small and big rods, there stood three, also four more globes. So he's basically talking about these big balls in the sky, these silver will will be silver still black because of the you know the way they were in the sky with these things sticking out of them like you know like think of like a 50s satellite if you will but let's keep going they all started to fight amongst themselves so that the globes which were first in the sun flew out to the ones standing on both sides thereafter the globes standing outside the sun in the small and large rods flew into the sun Besides, the globes flew back and forth amongst themselves and fought vehemently with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict in and against the sun was most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all, as said above, fell from the sun down upon the earth as if they all burnt. And then they wasted away on the earth with immense smoke. Talking about fucking Star Wars, man. There's, there's UFOs battling, shooting each other, battling each other in the skies and falling out of the sky onto the ground and burning up. Let's see uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, what it means. What, whatever such a sign means, God alone knows. Although we have seen shortly one after another many kinds of signs onto the heaven which were sent to us by the Almighty God, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it ends with them going, what the fuck was that? Only God knows. And it freaked the hell out of people rightfully so that is no meteor for sure what the hell were they seeing no idea but it's amazing again it sounds like they were watching ufos battle over them and falling to the earth when they you know crashing to the earth that's fucking incredible now let's cruise through the next couple real quick because we're already at 53 minutes so i got a lot more show for you all righty 1566, a series of mass sightings of celestial phenomena above Basel, Basel, Switzerland. I'm going to say Basel. Celestial phenomena were said to have fought together in the forms of, new, of numerous red and black balls in the sky. In the 15th and 16th centuries, many leaflets wrote about miracles and sky spectacles. Next, in April 1897, thousands of people reported seeing airships in various parts of the United States. Many signed affidavits. Scores of people even reported talking to the pilots. And I talked about this on this airship episode. Thomas Edison was asked his opinion. He said, you can take it from me that it is pure fake without any context to why he thought that. All righty. So let me read one story about airships from April 30th, 1897. The airship seen here. It passed over the city early yesterday morning in a rain. Moved slowly, plainly visible. 
seen by more than one person. And it goes on to talk about those airships. Again, if you haven't listened to the airship episode, I kind of like that one. I, they had a lot of historical context to it. But this is this entire story is yet another one about airships. In fact, this newspaper talks about the airship passed over Austin yesterday morning. It has sightings. People are uh, police are keeping their eagle eye out for mad dogs. Uh, people are keep told to keep watch of the airships. Where did the airships come from? Who's who's running them? Nobody knows. But again. You can listen to that whole airship episode for more on that. I just wanted to give a little bit of, because it was exactly the same year, 1897, a bunch of articles about airships and UFOs over America. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just another second. All righty. We are back. Enough with the history. Now let's change gears to bases associated with UFOs. That's right. You've all heard me talk about Area 51 and Wright-Patterson dozens of times on this show, but let's talk about some of the bases that have dealt with UFOs before I get to a new story all about that base we all know and love. God damn it. Now all I can think of is that shitty song all about that base. Look, I'm talking about Area 51. What I'm saying is... I'm going to tell you guys some stories about other bases dealing with UFOs. Then I'm going to get to a new story just for you guys about Area 51. Does that make more sense? Damn it. That song all about that base is still in my fucking head. All right. Let's start with Dobbins Air Force Base in Georgia. Now, the thing here is that a police officer named Michael Hitt, I think he's a military police officer, he wrote a book about a ton of UFO sightings in Georgia between 1947 and 1987. He said they had 234 UFOs that were spotted in that area in that time frame. In 40 years, 234 that he could find. But the one I'll be talking about happened in 1952 at Dobbins Air Force Base. And that's when pilots and airmen all over the base said they saw a UFO and they told him, this guy Michael Hitt in his book, they told him their stories. They said they saw an object streak overhead, then quickly disappear, but it was not a meteor. It was traveling fast, though. It was traveling really fast because it was spotted going 1,200 miles per hour on the radar scopes at the base. Whatever this thing was, they said, it seemed intelligent in its flying and was incredibly fast. Now, that wasn't even the only UFO spotted over the base. In fact, they had so many UFO sightings that the base set up a 3D camera in the 50s. Now, I kind of looked into it. From what I can tell, it was a high-tech piece of tracking and monitoring equipment, but it was not given out to bases. It was very unusual for an Air Force base to have one of these things. And they said that the reason it was installed at Dobbins Air Force Base was because of all these crazy fucking UFOs flying all over the place. Then... In 2019, a square black UFO the size of a 727, a Boeing 727, was reported near the base and even reported to MUFON. Now, this UFO, this one from 2019, was even captured on a cell phone video and, well, I watched it. Yep, it's a big black object in the sky, but to me, 
it looks like you know those you know like when planes tow those banners for like advertisements or movies or whatever bullshit like usually over beaches it looks to me like it's just a banner in the sky like it's taken from so far away you can't really see the plane you wouldn't be able to see the cord so it's just this big black bannery looking ufo i mean it doesn't look imposing it doesn't look like an, an incredibly imposing ufo square ufo I wanted it to look like, you know, like the Borg cube from Star Trek The Next Generation. That's what I was picturing when I was like, oh shit, a UFO, a black, a square black UFO the size of a Boeing 727 on video? Fuck, this is going to be crazy Borg looking shit. Eh, not really. So I'll throw this one up on the Facebook page. You guys take a look. Tell me what you think. But again, to me and me alone, I think it might be a banner, but I can't see the plane towing the banner so i don't know what the fuck this thing was it could also be you know like maybe maybe a helicopter was way up high and it was you know uh, and hanging from below it was one of those storage cube things that you always see it you know it, you know at the docks or whatever that they always you know you know bring illegal shit over you know what i'm saying those moving crates those big giant fucking metal crates it kind of looks like one of those being towed by something but again I can't see anything else on the screen that would say, oh, there's the plane or, oh, there's the helicopter. I really don't know, but it doesn't look imposing. Didn't scare me. I mean, I wouldn't want this thing in the sky above my house. Then, I, then I'd probably be scared. But from a distance, I'd be like, huh, I wonder what that banner's advertising or wonder what they're doing with that giant moving crate thingy. Okay, so let's move on then. Let's move on to 29 Palms in the Mojave Desert. Now, let me start by saying here, Yes, skeptics, I know. This is a base that is known, factually known, to be the place where top-secret military craft were tested. Yep, 100% agree with you. It's freaking known for UFOs that turned out to be the SR-71 or the Blackbird or stealth fighters or stealth bombers or whatever. So let's take this next UFO base story with another grain of salt, a smaller grain of salt. Because there are rumors from men that served at this base that there is an underground facility that alien bodies were seen there and studied there in the past. And you know what I got to say about that? Yeah, I can totally believe that this secret military base, or not secret, but this base that dealt with secret experimental test aircrafts this base was so secure back in the day, I can believe that this base, which again was built in 1952, makes total sense. I believe that there were alien remains that were recovered from Roswell, that were moved about from secret base to secret base for studying. So yeah, I can believe that there is an underground facility. And in that underground facility sometime in the past, alien bodies were seen there and studied there. I am not surprised by this story at all. It makes total sense. It lines up perfectly with what we know they did after Roswell with those alien bodies. There's so many stories about, oh, then it was flown here and was shown to these guys. Then it was flown here and shown to these guys. Usually high-ranking officials, but still. So it does not surprise me. And again, not surprisingly, over 29 poems, there are hundreds of UFO sightings since the 50s but since there's no way to know which one of these are probably hundreds of misidentified secret plane tests and which ones are aliens 
I'm going to move on. So let's go on over to Maryland to Fort Dix. This is a crazy one. I'm letting you know right now, don't skip this one, because January 18th, 1978, in the early morning hours, a military police officer was tracking or following, whatever you want to call it, a UFO that was flying low over the trees that are part of this base. Now, they followed it for over an hour, but they lost sight of it through the trees. That's when they realized the UFO was hovering silently directly over their military police pickup truck. Then, the shitty part happened. This military police officer says a four-foot-tall, grayish-brown alien with long arms, slender body, big head, and big eyes appeared out of the trees in front of his police pickup truck, whatever you want to call it, into the headlights, kind of like a wah kind of a thing. And this guy freaked out and promptly shot it five times, killing it. He said they panicked and shot it. Now, sure, it'd be scary, but how about you don't shoot an unarmed alien? You fuckwit. Here was our chance to talk to a real-life extraterrestrial, and you went, oh, fuck, and just shot it five times? Come on, man. Now, this police officer guy said that the alien gave off an ammonia-like smell from its wounds, and they quickly brought the dead alien back to the base... No mention of what happened to the UFO, though, but they're lucky they weren't fucking vaporized because they just shot one of its people. But anyhow, they bring the dead alien back to the base, and to nobody's surprise that's listening, nobody's surprise, a call was made about the body, and a cleanup crew from Wright-Patterson came in to claim the body. There we go. There's your Wright-Patterson for this episode. Not surprising at all. Now, a retired Air Force Major, George Flyer, says the story's true. And how does he know that? Well, he was, he was actually on the base that night. Now, he has since gone on to be director of MUFON, which, again, makes total sense because he knows aliens and UFOs are fucking real. He was there on the base. He said when he arrived on base for duty that night, the senior master sergeant who runs everything who sweeps the floor, to organizing the staff schedules, to making sure phones and faxes are up and running, everything. He was agitated. So George Flyer said, what the hell? He said his eyes were pale and wide open. His face, I'm sorry, his face was pale and his eyes were wide open. Then he said the strangest thing to George. He said, an alien has been shot at Fort Dix. They found it on the end of our McGuire Air Force Base runway. So, you know, George said, well, was it an alien from another country? Huh? And he said, nope. The staff sergeant guy said, the, the senior master sergeant guy said, no. It was from outer space, a space alien. There are UFOs buzzing around the pattern like mad. Yeah, that would make me be a 100% believer and want to, you know, run UF, run MUFON for a while. That's crazy. That's fucking crazy that it's not a bigger story. But this guy who was there, who has since come forward, he's even wrote a book about it. I'm, I actually, uh, I ordered the book. I haven't read it yet. But uh, I kind of got the whole, you know, sense of the story. That was it. That's exactly what happened. They never saw the alien again. The people from Wright-Patterson took it over. They said presumingly, and, you know, obviously, to back to Wright-Patterson for study. But they also said that that, that cleanup crew from Wright-Patterson 
we're not surprised by the fact that, oh, you got a dead alien? Yeah, we can take care of that. Like you, like you found like a dead possum under your house. No, these guys were not surprised at all. Didn't seem shocked by the dead alien. Just kind of cleaned it up. You guys didn't see anything. This is all, you know, it's top secret. If you talk about it, you're going to get busted, all that bullshit. This same bullshit that happens in every one of these fucking stories. So, yeah, I thought that one was really cool. I really liked that one because I hadn't heard that story before. And like I said, that should be a bigger story. Alrighty, up next is Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. Now, this one happened in 1980. They said they had spotted several UFOs over the base and in the nearby canyon one night. But that was the only the beginning of it because the radar was jammed by something. As soon as they spotted these several UFOs over the base, their radar got jammed. And not for a few minutes, but for a full six hours. For six hours, they could not track what the hell was flying above this base. Now, I mentioned a little bit of this story when I talked about Paul Benowitz on a previous episode, so I won't go too deep into other things seen in and around this base. You can listen to that episode for that. So let's keep on keeping on. See? So many bases, most of them not secret, but all of the ones from tonight's episode have had UFO encounters, and not just one, multiple UFO encounters. Working on reverse engineering UFOs, alien bodies, alien visitors. It's crazy to think that for a long while, this was a pretty common top secret occurrence. And speaking of top secret occurrences, how close can you get to Area 51. I'm asking you, you, you tell me, how close can you get to Area 51? Now, based on the recent Let's Storm Area 51, the answer is, hey, Kurt, not very close. But what if I was to tell you there is a way, a very legal way, I want to make that very clear. There is a very legal way to see Area 51 for yourself. That's right. Pilot Gabe Zeifman in his Cessna 150 has managed to see Area 51 pretty damn up close, and he also took some amazing photos of it for proof. And again, it's all legal. Completely legal. He didn't break any laws to do it. But instead of hearing me read his story, let's talk to Gabe himself. All right, cool. Well, if you don't mind, let's just jump right in. I know you're you're a busy man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. What do you, well, before we get into it, what are you volunteering? I see you volunteering all the time. Hey, that's amazing and that's awesome and good on you, but what are you doing? Oh, I drive blood for the Red Cross. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, they've been going to all the hospitals delivering uh, yeah, blood products. Dude, that's freaking awesome, man. Good on you. I love that. It's been cool. Uh, like I was saying, I really found your story really interesting. First, what gave you the idea of, you know, legally flying right by Area 51? Oh, so I guess a few years ago, I noticed that that R4807 Alpha wasn't usually designated on the weekends. And, well, that's interesting. So I thought I'd check it out someday. And then I moved down to Southern California and I went and did it. So... And then that area just east of uh, Groom Lake is not even restricted, so... Wow. Uh, I would have thought it was all restricted. I'm shocked that it's not restricted. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can get about, like, 10 or 12 miles or so and not 
be in restricted airspace. Holy crap. Now, were you surprised how easy it was to, to do it, to fly right by it? So on that east side, not really. But then when the only thing I was really surprised by was when they let me in the R4806 West, the one to the south that covers like Papoose Lake and all that stuff. Sure. Because that, that one is designated as active continuously. So, uh, you know, I had just taken off out of Rachel and I got, I was going to Henderson, I Nellis for following just like I normally would. And I thought, what the hell, I'll ask. You know, it never, it never hurts to ask. <laughs> Any chance I can go through 4806 West? And he just says affirmative. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, did it. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. But yeah, I, I was surprised that that was available. Now, what gave you the idea to do it? Are you interested in ufos or just in the area 51 itself or what was what was the impetus for doing it um more the like military history stuff and the i'm more about like the aviation stuff sure and the you know i think the nuclear testing is pretty interesting i got to take pictures of a bunch of the nuclear sites when i was out there um i didn't really know anything about papoose lake the first time i went out there but i I did happen to get pictures of it, so that was kind of interesting. I just saw another dry lake, so I didn't really know the story the first time. And uh, um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I guess just the aviation stuff is interesting to me, and I have fun messing around in weird airspace. <laughs> now, were you surprised how clear, because I've seen a couple of your photos, and it was incredibly clear how much you could actually see of the actual base. Were you Were you expecting to see that much of the base? Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like the first time I went, I just had a, my cell phone. So some of them were pretty good that I got even with just my phone. Like the Papoose Lake pictures are just off of a cell phone. But I went back with a better camera. So I was kind of hoping they'd come out pretty well with the, with the real camera. Oh yeah. And it did. I mean, like I said, I was really impressed with the photos and the detail of everything you got on the ground. Did you get any backlash from from taking the photos no not nothing official nobody said anything to me just the just the internet nonsense <laughs> like me people like me getting all all excited yeah, about ufos <laughs> but you know nobody's even directly said anything nasty to me like the only people that have actually talked to me directly have said nice stuff but you know, I know I've seen people like, oh, this is treason online. It's like, okay, whatever, dude. Yeah, it's not. I mean, come on. If it was treason, they wouldn't let you anywhere near that. I mean, like you said, yeah, you no, did everything I, legally. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I think they're competent enough to protect anything actually sensitive. Um, and, and I kind of say if you can get a picture like I did from a $16,000 airplane with a 100-horsepower engine... <laughs> With that camera acquired at Costco, like that's probably fair game. I'd oh say. heck yeah! That if that if that's the level of spydom you need, that's, that's nothing. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So and while while talking to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you were in you were in constant contact with them the whole time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Always identify. They know who I am, and I'm only doing like less than a hundred knots, so it's not like they don't have plenty of heads up. Yeah, and it's not like they couldn't catch you in the air if they wanted to. So, you know, if they if they scrambled something, it'd be right on you. Yeah. 
So, you know, I got to ask this. I, the one question I said I was, I, I got to ask, but even though I know the answer, did you see any UFOs? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Didn't see anything uh, that interesting. Were you expecting to see, I should have guessed, I should have asked that way. Were you expecting to see any <laughs> UFOs? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a, you're not a UFO believer, are you? Um, I don't know. I don't really follow most of the like conspiracy stuff out there. I mean, I, I would guess it's mostly just, you know, advanced aircraft, but you know, I, I don't know. Well, how long have you been a pilot? Um, I've had my license coming up on 10 years. All right. In your 10 years of flying, have you ever seen anything, not a UF, not a, not aliens, but have you ever seen anything that, that you couldn't identify? Not, not really. I mean, yeah, I, I can say anything that interesting. You know, I've seen, you know, meteors and I've seen a space station while flying, but yeah, nothing like I couldn't explain. Sure. Are you surprised at the reaction that, that you've been getting for doing something that seemingly anybody could do because it's done legally? Were you surprised at the reaction that you've been getting from this? Not really. I mean, I don't, I don't, wouldn't really expect most people to understand the airspace rules. I think the people that like continue in it with the, when there's constant, uh, you know, validation that it, was fine or kind of silly oh i agree completely like i said I, like i was telling you early before we started this i just thought it was a very neat companion piece to be like look here's someone who's someone who's not even a ufo believer that is just into air aeronautics and legally could manage to fly this close to area 51 a base that didn't even technically exist until you know pretty recent until our lifetime but like it's mm -hmm. It's it's interesting to me. Like I said, I thought it was just a really neat companion piece because it's cool that you've done something that, I mean, I would love to see Area 51 from the vantage point that you got to see it. I would absolutely love to do it. And to know that that might be possible, it might be something I could do, is, is mind-blowing to me. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, the people that have thought about doing it are pretty intimidated by the airspace. Like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just pretty comfortable with airspace like flying you know i've flown through i'll compare it to like new york right i'm more worried about flying in new york oh sure just with the very busy airspace because if you screw up you're gonna have a loss of separation and get in trouble it's similar here except there's no traffic you're just trying not to hit the wrong boundary which i think is kind of somewhat easier but you know there there's the whole kind of lore about it oh <laughs> they're gonna shoot you down if yeah you do something wrong and it, you know it's i highly doubt they would shoot you down even if you got into something but now uh, how 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 nervous is how nerve-wracking is that is it scary to be like flying a, a a direct line that you could cross and bad stuff could happen i no not really i mean i i'm pretty comfortable with my navigation you know equipment and abilities and if it if the conditions weren't great like it was super bumpy or i'm doing anything i can just give the boundary of you know wider birth sure so they're watched they're watching me so if the controllers are uncomfortable which i've had once they can give you a turn or say a turn turn eastbound you know for airspace or whatever so Oh, you know what? I don't think I ever asked you this. How many times have you flown by Area 51 within visual sight? As far as trips, I think three times. Wow. 
Oh, wow. So this is yeah. this is cool. This is and would you be surprised that after, you know, the, the people that freaked out and said, oh, it's treasonous and all that dumb stuff. Would you be surprised if now they ask you to do a wider berth or do you think that it's not a not even a, a, a worry of theirs? I don't think it's too much of a worry. Um, the last time I went was like a little under a month ago, I think. And they did not care whatsoever. And they uh, cleared me into airspace that was note them as hot and like they did not. What? I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm ignorant on this. But what is what does that mean? The airspace is hot. So like it was it was published that the airspace was active, like it was being used. Oh, okay. So that the actual base was being used, so like a plane could be taking off from there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, it was a, it was a different range, but and actually, the funny another funny thing, I somebody geo referenced the the Nellis range chart for me. And this controller was giving me, you know, headings, a radar vector. I said, hey, I have the range chart. If you want to just tell me what ranges are hot, I can do my own navigation. He said, oh, just range 74 alpha. So it's just a tiny piece in R4807 alpha. And then otherwise, I said, it would do whatever. Wow. I'm I'm really impressed that that's, it's, it's literally that easy as long as you abide by their laws, abide by the rules, whatever you want to call it. It's just that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you just got to ask. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I couldn't say what would happen if more people started doing it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If it became uh, like a, a regular thing where everybody's doing it, it might be a, an issue. Sure. I can get that. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, though, that the base has been there forever. People could have been doing this theoretically forever and it's just not a thing. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know why, like, I've looked through the, like, logs and, you know, whatever, and all I can find is, like, a couple guys over the last maybe 30 years have, like, rented a Skyhawk out of North Vegas and come, flown over, like, Alamo and gone, oh, look, there it is, and then turned around. <laughs> And nobody really, I think a lot of people, like, the airspace is a little intimidating if you're not used to, like, navigating special use airspace. But, I don't know, I do that stuff regularly, so it doesn't really bother me, but... Well, that's cool. I, I saw that on, on one of your posts, on your Facebook post, there was a, uh, a friend of yours or a guy on Facebook that said that he had flown by there in the 70s and... and saw some not saw an alien but like he was closer to it or landed or something I, I i can't recall what it was um have you now found some friends or or associates that have done the same thing as you not the same thing i think that may have been like one of my airline pilot buddies and because those flights have always flown near enough that you could see at high altitude so i that might have been what that was like like the routes going into San Francisco over Coaldale from from uh, Salt Lake Center, like past north of the ranges by Tonopah. And you can see the lake bed and the base from from very far away. Like even at really? 10,000 feet. I, yeah, I could see it from like 35 miles away. Oh, wow. You've got more. a... And I was, how long How long can you visually see it? for? If it's 35 miles away, is that like 30 minutes or 15 minutes? What are we talking? Oh, it depends on the wind but yeah in my plane call it a mile and a half a minute no kidding average. yeah oh wow so this wasn't like you got a quick two minute flyby you're looking at this thing for 
30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and when I, when I, that first one I did, you know, with my cell phone, I, I was probably inside of the base for total that day, like an hour. Wow. That yeah. is awesome. Again, I mean, it's, you do get like why people get so excited about this, right? Like why something, but somebody like me, I'm so excited the fact that you get to see it for that long. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> Dude, I love how nonchalant you are. This is awesome, Gabe. I really, no, man, you're yeah. like a rock star. You got to see something, like I said, that, you know, people have dreamt about seeing forever and you did it and it's just like, yeah, just one of those things. It's, it's cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, hey, nah, it's, it's interesting. But... It's oh yeah, it's really interesting. Do you have any do you have any plans coming up to be flying by it again? Oh, I don't know. Maybe once it, the temperatures start dropping again, um, everyone keeps asking for better papoose like pictures. So I'll see if I can do that. That would be cool. How many people um, have uh, asked to, to like pay for a ticket on your next flight? <laughs> I don't know. I think a couple people have mentioned it. Well, but... throw me on that list. If 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 you ever start doing that, <laughs> throw me on that list. I would. I've never been in a. I've been in a small plane once uh, uh, a long time ago, like twenty something years ago. But uh, I've never. You know, it's been a long time since I've been in a small plane. But uh, if you ever, if you ever start doing that, you know, remember me. I'll 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 pitch in. I would love to do that. I think it's a neat <laughs> neat idea. Well, hey. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, you know, it was it was just one of these things that it caught my eye, and I was like, and and when I looked into you, I was like, all right, he's a cool guy too. So it's not just that you managed to do something fun. You you are legitimately a cool guy. I'm impressed with your volunteer work and and taking the time out of your day to chat with me is you know I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Well, before I let you go, is there anything that you want to say or, or tell people like, hey, this isn't real or this is dumb or whatever? You got free range. I'll give you a free range if you have to, if you want to. Oh, jeez. Nah, not, not, not particularly. I mean, I, I just do it because I think it's a cool out there, you know, interesting to see all that stuff. But yeah, that's about it. I agree. I think it's awesome. Thank Gabe. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate it. And, oh, I forgot to ask. Do you mind if I share your photos, or should I direct them to your Facebook, or how should I... Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. I, I have those Google Drive links around, so that, that's fine, whatever. Oh, okay. I'll try to find... I'll, I'll find that, and if I can't find it, I'll hit you up on Facebook or whatever. But, uh, dude, again, man, thank you so much. This was very cool, and this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you being on the show. See? Cool, right? I seriously want to go on a flight with Gabe and see Area 51 for myself. I loved, I mean, he was so gracious and kind. And I, you know, hey, man, can I interview you? And he's like, yeah, I guess it's not going to be that interesting. I'm like, are you kidding me? You saw Area 51. That's fucking amazing. And then when I talked to him in the interview, the obviously Zoom interview, because, you know, pandemic, uh, he was, again, he was just like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it was cool. I don't know. Whatever. I don't really believe in UFOs. He was the nicest, coolest guy, so down to earth. This isn't a loophole. This is just a thing that people can do as long as you do it right and you stay on the legal side of things. It seems like this can pretty much happen to any of us. So again, Gabe, if you're listening, first, thank you for doing the interview. Really appreciate it. He is a very busy guy. He's like uh, 
volunteering and delivering blood and donating blood or I don't know. He, he loves blood, something. Uh, he's the he's the coolest, nicest guy. So, Gabe, thank you for talking to me. Please keep me in mind. If you ever do get a chance to take someone up in your plane, I'll pay I'll pay for your gas. I don't know how much that would cost, but fuck it. I'll pay for gas unless it's like, you know, oh gas, you know, that's $10,000. I can't pay for that. But, you know, if it's a couple hundred bucks, fuck it. I'll pay for gas and I'll buy you lunch one day. You take me past Area 51 so I can take a bunch of photos and see it for myself. That is a dream come true. All righty. Let's wrap up this episode. I'm not done yet. There's still some more stuff. I mean, let's wrap up this episode by talking about some of the best, least known UFO encounters. Now, there's only a few of these, but let's start with the Aquadilla. Aquadilla? Sure, Aquadilla, Puerto Rico, in April of 2013, when a UFO was seen flying really low, and I mean really low, over the Rafael Hernandez Airport runway in Aquadilla, Puerto Rico. Now, the UFO didn't really do so much, except scare a bunch of people on the ground and delay a few flights, but a U.S. Customs and Border Protection aircraft captured infrared video of the UFO that was supplied to the Scientific Coalition for Ufology by some whistleblower. Now, it shows the UFO flying silent without any lights at some instances below treetop altitude and at speeds close to 100 miles per hour. Now, I couldn't find that video, but I could find this video that I want to watch right now with you guys. Oh, no, I could. I'm sorry. So I actually found that video. It's on YouTube. It's not like I had to, like, break into something. It's right there on YouTube. So, yep, it is another video, just like those Tic Tac videos, just like the gimbal videos, whatever you want to call them, those Navy videos. Sure as shit, it looks exactly like those. It's something cruising. And I know the skeptics are going to say, oh, it's a balloon. Uh, balloons don't fly that fast in the direction it was flying, at the altitude it was flying. It's something. And and this this air, this air uh, this U.S. Customs airplane, whatever you want to call it, this U.S. Customs and Borders Protection airplane was having a hard time tracking this thing. So it's pretty neat. I'll, again, I'll throw that video up on the Facebook page as well. I want you guys to see all the videos. But let's move on to 1982 in Nancy, France. That's when a man named M. Henri, Henri? Sure, M. Henri, and his wife were in their back garden when they saw a UFO come overhead and silently hover over them for 20 minutes. Now, they described it as roundish metallic, just kind of hung there, it was silent, not anything they had ever seen before. It wasn't a balloon, wasn't any other, wasn't a blimp. They said this thing was metallic. It was round. It was silent. And he tried to take a bunch of pictures of it. But sadly, his camera jammed. So what did they do? Well, they stayed there watching the UFO for the full 20 minutes. Yep, that's what I would do. Then the UFO just poof, took off and was gone in an instant in that blink-of-an-eye, UFO-style kind of exit. So again, not a blimp, not a balloon, not something that's man-made, not a weather balloon, not any of that fuck-all. This thing took off in a heartbeat after they watched it for 20 minutes hovering directly over them. And finally, not the best, but still a good one. October 1973, Mansfield, Ohio. Four crew members of an Army Reserve helicopter recorded a near collision with the UFO 
near Charles Mills Lake. Charles Mill Lake? Sure. Now, the near crash was also seen by people on the ground who said they watched a ball of light zigzagging through the sky, not like a meteor, but also not like a plane or helicopter. They watched it as it had an almost mid-air collision with the helicopter. Now, the pilot of the helicopter said the UFO was at least 60 feet long and cigar-shaped, and it was just pure luck they didn't hit it. Unfortunately, I don't have any video of that one, but there you go. Another supersized UFO edition of Paranormal Almanac to make up for that no regular episode last week. Sure, you got three bonus episodes last week, but you didn't get a regular one. The reason for that was because I wanted to add Gabe's interview into this episode because, again, it's a very simple story, but it intrigues me so much that it is that easy to view Area 51. It is that legal to view Area 51 as long as you follow their guidelines and their coordinates and all the other bullshit. It's right there. That's amazing to me. Why the fuck haven't I seen Area 51 yet? Why the hell haven't I gotten some small plane and gone off and seen it? So, if you're a listener, and you're a pilot, and you have your own plane, and you can come and get me, or roughly come and get me, come fly out to an airport nearish me, let's do this. Let's go see Area 51. Give me a chance to do an episode. This would be awesome. I would love to do an episode from the plane while looking at Area 51. How fucking rad would that be? I'm pretty sure I would be the first podcast ever to do an episode over or at Area 51. So again, if you're a pilot or you have access to a pilot that has a plane that could do this and it's legal and we won't get shot down or arrested or anything, let's do this. All righty. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you guys like, rate, review, subscribe on whatever you listen to podcast on. I always forget to say this. And, well, it shows. Because, for whatever reason, Paranormal Almanac has kind of slipped out of the top 100. I don't usually keep too close of a tab on it. I just happened to check and I went, oh, shit, I'm out of the top 100s. The reason for that is because people aren't liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, whatever you want to call it, on the actual stuff where you get your podcast, whether that be Podbean or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever. Please, please do that. Please tell your friends about this show. You guys can buy merch over at storeenvy.com slash paranormalalmanac. Uh, remember, oh, there's another part. Remember to email me your paranormal stories to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or... Send them to me on Facebook. Once again, that's paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or send them to me on Facebook. Go to the Paranormal Almanac page on Facebook. Send them there. I'll get to them. I got a bunch, but I always want more. I want more for those live episodes, but I really want more because I want to do a supersized listener episode, listener paranormal story episode with Sean Bishop to get kind of back into the swing of things. I know I know, I normally save that big episode for Halloween, but fuck it. Time isn't real right now. We're all stuck inside. Let's bring a little bit of Halloween to, to right now, to as soon as right now, as soon as, you know, Sean and I can do it. So please, get me those stories, those paranormal stories. As long as they're true, that's all I ask for. You can tell me your grandma's story, your mom's story, your dad's story, your daughter's story. 
as long as it's true. Most importantly, you can tell me your story, but as long as it's true, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or send them to me over on Facebook. Alrighty. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savick, and this has been another supersized edition of Paranormal Almanac. Erwin, you little hat. Erwin, how are we?